Chris, we're live on Facebook and I'm sharing it now. No worries. I'm just trying to get this back up. <laughs> Okay. Good morning, everyone, uh, or good evening, Andy. Thanks for uh, thanks for getting up or staying up this late. Um, yeah, we were talking with Andy earlier, and he said uh, might have to sleep in a little bit. So thanks everyone for joining. Um, Chris Douglas here um, from Partner Solutions, Chad Councilman, uh, all auto recalls, and a uh, special guest today, Andy Latham. Andy, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Excellent. Um, what, uh, what we decided to do today is have a, a session on electric vehicle dismantling, hybrid vehicle dismantling. Andy is a specialist in that area out of the UK, um, over towards Norwich, uh, east coast of the UK. I think it's probably as far east as you can get. Is that right, Andy? Yeah, almost, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that's driven uh, this session is the fact that Chad and I have, have done a lot of um, travelling to a degree as much as we can do over the past three months, well, could do over the past three months with COVID. And we've, uh, we've had a look at a number of different yards, we've visited a number of people, and we've seen some good and not so good practices, right? Uh, one of the things that we've really identified is that we see a lot of electric or hybrid vehicles sitting in yards, and they're not being handled well. And I think uh, the, the discussion that I've had with Chad about this over the past three or four months, and I've, I've spoken to a number of different people uh, in the past about this, is that I'm not sure that yards, most yards, don't really understand what they need to do. They get an electric vehicle in and they dismantle it the way they dismantle any normal vehicle. In fact, I've seen some people do some crazy things out there, which are really, really dangerous. So it's as much about compliance and the opportunity. So one of the things that uh, I'd like to achieve with today's session is to make sure we understand what, firstly, what the risks are, um, understand what we need to do to actually deal with those risks. And Andy will help us with that. He, he does a lot of training in this area. But also look at what the opportunities are with the handling and sale of electric components. Uh, and sometimes these electric components go beyond just the batteries, right? So Andy, I think uh, we've got some headlights these days that have got some uh, components within them that are quite high voltage as well. I'm not sure if you're going to touch on any of that or if you have much knowledge in that area, but certainly we'd like to discuss some of those things. So 
let's get straight into it uh, with uh, Andy. I, I'm going to I'm going to sort of hand over to you quickly and, and see if you can do a bit of an intro on, on who you are and what you do, and then we'll start straight in with some questions. And I know Andy's got some slides he'd like to share. Uh, but we'll work through things like, you know, the, the handling and the demanufacturing process, uh, the equipment required. We'll also talk a little bit about what the selling requirements are. You know, we usually talk about selling engines and gearboxes, but what about selling electric components? Um, you know, what's involved there and what, what does the customer really want to hear there? So what do your, what do your salespeople need to show there? Uh, and then distribution, uh, distribution, but also reverse logistics. So. Andy, let me hand over to you. Tell us a little bit about Salvage Wire, a little bit about Andy Latham, and uh, see if we can uh, get this session going. Okay. Right. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, over 40 plus years in the automotive industry, uh, I started out my apprenticeship working on the old uh, British Motor Corporation, uh, BMCs with minis and stuff like that. Uh, came up through the retail side of the industry. And then in 1991, I got asked to work for uh, the biggest insurance company in, in the UK, which was then Norwich Union, now became Aviva. Uh, and I did 10 years as a staff engineer, going assessing damaged vehicles, and 13 years with Blue Cycle, which was their wholly owned salvage subsidiary. Uh, seven and a bit years ago, that, um, that uh, uh, side of the business was outsourced to Copart and we all got made redundant so salvage wire uh, you know came out of that and I've spent the last seven years working for the vehicle recycling industry the vehicle salvage industry globally um, but over the last probably three four years uh, it's become more and more and more involved around electric and hybrid vehicles and probably 70 percent of our work is now focused on electric and hybrid vehicles for vehicle recyclers, for salvage agents, first responders, um, also for collision repair centers, dealers and manufacturers. And we're working predominantly on the training and the education side of, of working on these vehicles, but also we're working uh, in, in you know, the design and the research and development areas of a number of different companies where they are actually looking at, at new technology and looking at new stuff and the new types of batteries that are coming in. So we're working in there as well. So I'm working both ends. I'm working brand new, new, new ideas, new stuff, and then the recycling side at the end and everywhere else in between. You mentioned something there about collision repairers as well. Obviously collision repairers have the same issue when they get a damaged vehicle in, they need to pull it apart so they can repair it. Um, I'm aware that I believe ICAR here in Australia does a lot around training for hybrid vehicles and so forth. But it was interesting. We actually had uh, Mark Sivkovich from, from ICAR at the Recyclers Conference here in Australia in 2018. And um, Mark went down the path of you know, talking about dismantling different products from, from vehicles and electric vehicles. And you know, he was talking a bit about that. And one of the opportunities there was how can the likes of an ICAR help automotive recyclers as well, because we don't have uh, anyone that, to provide, well, let me just take a step back there. We do have organizations that can provide training, but automotive recyclers aren't that, well, open to training is probably one way of putting it, if we're honest, but also we don't have a good information flow of, you know, who is, uh, 
who is the go-to for training in, in the electric vehicle area, right? So if I asked 95 to 99% of recyclers in Australia, where do you get your electric vehicle training from? Their response would be probably one of, you know, silence. So that's, that's, that's a tricky bit here. And, uh, and I know Michael McKenna from the BACC is actually on, on the session this morning. Um, thanks for joining, Michael. One area I think, uh, and, and Andy, you met Richard uh, Dudley mm. at, uh, at the IRT and mm. we had some discussions with you about potentially having you come to, the, to Australia and look at, you know, whether there was an opportunity to provide some training sessions around, mm. around Australia last year or the year before, I can't remember, I think it was last year. Mm. And um, that didn't eventuate because of timing. But certainly, I think there's there's an area there that we can raise awareness in to help recyclers, one, understand what their issues are, and two, provide a solution to them that's cost-effective, but effective as well, right? So I think that, yeah, that's absolutely, great. Absolutely. There are, there, there uh, are some, some difficulties, though, because the collision repair centres want to know how to take the vehicle apart, repair the vehicle and then put it back together again and make it work. Um, whereas the recyclers and the salvage agents want to know how to take the vehicle apart and what value, how they can sell the parts, what they can do with the parts, but they're not really that much focused on how to put it back together again. Uh, and so, so you know, we've actually, um, one of the things we, we did many years ago is we actually designed a training course that is specifically aimed at the vehicle recycling and the vehicle salvage industry which is how do you take them apart? Uh, because you know any other training, anything that ICAR does, anything that we, we do here with the Institute of the Motor Industry or City and Guilds is, yeah, it's great. It takes it apart, but then it puts it back together again. And you've got to do that to qualify and, 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 and you know, achieve that training and that certification standard. And we've actually got the training that, that doesn't do that, it, how to take it apart and what you do with it afterwards. So your your training looks at you know storage, distribution, yeah. etc. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Excellent. So just quickly um, for those that are on whether they're on Facebook or whether they're on the Zoom call, uh, there's multiple sort of ways that you can join these calls. But please do feel free to send some questions across to Andy, um, probe, ask. Uh, there may be some opportunities to to get some training as well. So. Um, Chad, any comments from you at this stage with regard to, to what we've seen here, but also, and then we'll share, get, get Andy to share his screen and start telling us a little bit more. I've only been here in Australia for three and a half months. Most, most of you know that I've moved here after selling my business. I've toured probably 25 facilities in that three and a half months. I have yet to see any personal protection equipment for hybrid or electric vehicle dismantling processes. I have seen batteries stacked on top of batteries. I have seen batteries that still have the plugs in them where they're energized. Um, it, it's, it, it blew my mind how few, if any, recyclers are truly compliant with, with the, the letter of the law associated with dismantling these electric vehicles and trying to protect their employees. And so that's, that's the reason we wanted to bring Andy on today because it is just, it's amazing that the lack of, of training and, and uh, compliance there is here in the market. You know, it's interesting you're talking there, and I'm just thinking about the yards that we have visited and the ones that need this most probably aren't listening to this show. Yeah, you're right. Which is the, which is the tricky bit, right? So 
that is pretty frustrating, I have to say, because really they're the ones that these shows are there for. I mean, not only, but certainly they're the ones that need it most. Um, it's, it's a little bit disappointing that that happens. But anyway, that's life. That's, that's what we need to do. So, Andy, if I can get you to share your screen, take us mm -hmm. through some slides. Not too many. Let's not get over, go over with it. But let's, uh, let's, let's go through a few of the key ones, I think, around the uh, equipment, the product handling, uh, et cetera. And let's see what, uh, what comes out of that. Okay. Well, let's, let, let's talk first. And just talk first about the danger that these vehicles um, carry within them and the biggest danger around this is electric shock and these vehicles work on direct current DC direct current and if you get an electric shock from DC a DC battery then that is a muscle contractor and if it's in your hand your muscles will contract and they will lock and you cannot let that electric cable or whatever it is that you're you have in your hand go that power, that electrical power then wants to get from wherever it is, that battery, that cable, to earth, to ground. And if it uses you as a conduit, it will do so. Now that entry point into you may be a really small pinhole in uh, a glove or in a, in, in a cable, and it will go into your finger. It will travel through your body and it will come out through your foot or your ankle. It will not be a little pinhole as it comes out it will be an explosion. It could take your foot off or it could take your leg off or something of that nature. But that's, yeah, that's bad enough. But actually what happens, remember what I said, it's a muscle contractor. As it goes through your body, it hits your heart and it will stop your heart from beating. You need 70 to 90 volts and half an amp to stop your heart from beating. The vast majority of these vehicles are running at somewhere between 200 and 400 volts and anything from 200 to 1500 amps, depending on the spec of the vehicle and the, and the size of the battery. The latest Porsche, Porsche that's come out, the Porsche Taycan, that's the full electric Porsche, is now running at an at 800 volt battery. And that voltage on future cars is only going one way, which is upwards. And that is just going to carry on. 70 to 90 volts is all that's needed to kill you. So we have got massive power in these vehicles. And there's power, and people have been killed from working on these vehicles. The other thing as well, just to, just to remind people, is also about the weight of these batteries. Uh, they, these batteries are very, very heavy. Toyota Prius battery is 50 kilos, 53 kilos. It's about 120 pounds for the American um, conversion. The Tesla battery is 600 kilos. It's about 1,400 pounds. So manual handling also becomes part of this as well. So there's four real things that you need to do. Number one is identify the vehicle. Number two is isolate it. Number three, test. And then number four, secure. Okay. So the... The first way, the best way to identify the vehicle is uh, a few things around the vehicle. So let me just share this screen. Um, while you're doing that, have a look at, running, while you're doing that, I'm just running a poll, Andy, just so yeah. we can see how many yards that are on the, on the Zoom call at least have handled hybrid vehicles. So please yeah. continue. No problem. Okay. 
So, so a couple of things to really look at on the vehicle. Uh, look at the badges. You can see that Prius badge there. Uh, it says hybrid synergy drive. Look for that. Some manufacturers are really good at putting badges on the vehicle. The instrument pack will also have some very, very different uh, gauges to it. And on those that are plug-in, a fully electric vehicle or a plug-in hybrid, you will find a plug, that bottom right picture there, you'll find a plug to plug the car in. But the most important, the best way of identifying these vehicles is opening the bonnet, open the hood, see bright orange cables. And if you see bright orange cables, you know then that the vehicle is capable of producing more than 60 volts. This is a Society of Automotive Engineers uh, process uh, protocol that so far every manufacturer has followed. And they're, if they're producing more than 60 volts DC, they will use orange cables. And that's a really, really good identifier that you are looking at a high voltage vehicle. Now, there's a whole load of, um, of tools and PPE that's there to keep you safe. Um, and one of the key pieces of kit to keep you safe are a pair of high voltage gloves. Class zero, 1000 volt high voltage gloves. These are absolutely essential. Do not touch the vehicle unless you've got a pair of these on. And before you use them, you need to test them and check them and make certain that they're not split or cut or there's no pinholes in them, okay? And you can do that very, very easily um, just by inspection, but then also you just need to get some air into them. Literally just spin them and make certain that they hold air. So there's no pinhole in, in them really really important that you use those and you look after them you also need uh, some high voltage overboots to, to stand in you need a, a cat 3 1000 volt multimeter safety rescue hook some face face shields as well and things things of that nature um, then you need to go and isolate the vehicle you need to go and find how to isolate the vehicle how to shut the vehicle down now every manufacturer is different whether it's a, 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 a Toyota, a Lexus, a Volvo, a Nissan, or whatever, they are all different. But about 70% of them, you will find a big orange plug, something that looks a little bit like this, and could be found anywhere in the vehicle. This can be found uh, in, in, in the spare wheel well, in the boot floor. And this can be found under the back seat. It could be found behind the back seat. It could be in the center console. It could be in a, under a flap between the front and the rear seats, or in a couple of cases, it's actually underneath the vehicle. So it's physically, you've got to get the vehicle up on the ramp. And you've got your gloves on, you find this, and you remove this plug. You then allow the capacitors to discharge for 10 minutes, and then you test it with your multimeter. Now, as I say, a number of vehicles have got a plug that looks a little bit like this. You get an early Honda, you will get a rocker switch. Looks like this, and you pull a tag off and you flick the rocker switch, uh, and then put the tag back on to lock it in place. So some, you know, some early Hondas will have that, uh, but this, you know, is is majority of the vehicles. Now, as I say, it's different shapes, different sizes, different locations. Um, this is out of a Mark II Toyota Prius, quite chunky. This is out of a Mark IV Toyota Prius. Very, very much smaller. And when you've got those gloves on, that's very, very difficult to get, to get hold of. Now, not every manufacturer has that. Not every manufacturer has a big orange plug. 
uh, and if you get a BMW or a Mercedes, then you will have this multi-plug here that you pull apart and you put a padlock in it to stop it going back together again. And again, that, you'll find that in some different locations. That could be under the bonnet, under the hood, could also, or could be in the trunk. So uh, there's a number of different uh, ways of doing this. So always, always, always use the manufacturer processes, use the appropriate PPE and isolate the vehicle. Then you go and test using your multimeter to make certain that you've got no voltage left in the system. And then you secure it by locking out these so that nobody can put them back into the vehicle again. Andy, a couple of questions, couple of questions from me. You've mentioned there a few times manufacturer process. You've mentioned mm -hmm. that these uh, lockout or these switches are often in different parts of the vehicle um, for different vehicles, Mark yeah. 1, Mark 2s, different looking mm -hmm. things, etc. Is there a guide? Is there something that can people can go to and look at and say, well, I just bought a hybrid Prius, Mark, whatever it is. Where do I find this? Where do I find that? We've uh, got, a, got a guide that came out of the uh, European Union End of Life Vehicle Directive, and it's called IDIS. It's called the, it's the International Dismantling Information System, IDIS. Now, IDIS is available to, free of charge to any recycler or salvage agent across the world. And the IDIS team will allow people across the world access to that. Uh, and I can give you the website address a little bit later on. Please be aware, those people that are outside of the EU, there may well be some vehicles in there that are either not listed or may have a slight different specification from between the EU and wherever you're based. But the broad outline is, is still the same. And that will include, within that, will include processes on how to make the vehicle safe and actually also how to remove the battery completely. Excellent. Okay. Good. Chad, I think you were going to say something before. No, no, uh, but I, I will, I will touch on this. Uh, I learned about IDIS probably three years ago from Andy and we implemented that process at our facility about three years ago when we bought all the uh, PPE, bought all the tools that were needed to, to properly uh, disconnect the battery because even though it's isolated, uh, disconnected, you still have to physically remove the cable that's connected to the battery. And it takes, you know, a, a 15 millimeter socket and, and a ratchet and stuff in order to, to do that. And we had to buy special equipment that were non-conductive to do that. And, and we've been using that at our facility for, for three years now, which I mean, I sold the facility in, in December, but and we even got to a point where we were requiring the dismantler to come in and look at the IDIS specs for that exact vehicle prior to dismantling. So he would watch a, a 10 minute refresher course on, on what to do for PPE and stuff, and then turn around and, and dig into the exact vehicle. So we were spending 30 minutes to, to educate the dismantler before each hybrid vehicle because each one is different. He just pointed out those, those different style plugs and, and some are where the spare tire would be. Some are behind the, the back seat on a Honda. Uh, some are, are round and you have to twist them to get them out. I mean, they're, they're completely different styles. And unless you know what it is, I mean, you, you showed a picture of a BMW or Mercedes there that, that was completely different, wasn't orange, uh, was completely different. And so we, we learned that we had to actually go through a refresher course and, and specific training for each particular vehicle before the dismantling process started with that particular dismantler. 
And so uh, I just wanted to throw some ideas out there as to, to the extent we all need to go to to protect our employees. Yeah. And, and there's also another good one, the um, National Fire Prevention Authority, nfpa.org. And again, I'll send the, the details so that people can access that. Uh, that's another one that's got a whole host of, of data and information that's uh, available free of charge uh, from, from their website. So I'll, uh, I'll make certain everybody's got that information. If you could forward that to us um, when you get a chance, those two websites, Andy, that'd be great. And then what we'll do is we'll, we'll put that all up um, and send it out to all the participants so that they've got a copy of that. That'd be great. Um, okay. One thing that's, that's, I'm just thinking out aloud here about a couple of things. You know, you're in the UK. As you know, there's a bit happening in the UK at the minute. We've got Tom from I Need Spares. That's uh, um, a young fellow that's uh, started his own recycling business a couple of years ago. Very progressive on the call. Um, Tom's uh, looking to become certified over there as part of the VRAC uh, certification program. There's a lot happening in the UK at the minute. Um, Tomorrow morning, your time, tonight, my time, we're hosting a webinar on behalf of eBay, uh, which will be a demonstration of their platform. Um, and I'll be sort of uh, chairing that session tomorrow, tonight, my time. Um, and there's, as I said, there's a lot happening over there. Um, and insurance companies are looking at engaging with auto recyclers a lot more meaningfully. And, you know, you work for Aviva and we're working closely with, uh, with Adam and the team there, mm -hmm. uh, as well as others. This type of handling of an electric vehicle, um, you know, one of the things that I've spoken to a number of insurers about is, you know, they're nervous also about selling their salvage vehicles to yards that don't have the right work health and safety plans in place. Um, and we're hoping this certification program will deal with some of those things um, so that the insurers know that when they're selling their salvage vehicle, what I call the resource, to the automotive recycling industry, they know that it will be handled, handled properly if it goes to the right people. What, um, what, what's your view on that? I mean, do you think that that's an area that a professional salvage yard should be looking at taking advantage of slash creating a point of difference between them and the guys that aren't on this call, right? The guys that don't know how to do it. Yeah. And that's certainly one of the opportunities that I've got, you know, you know, that I, I talk about uh, at length um, you know, when, I'm, when I'm doing a presentation or when I'm doing some training. Um, it's very much around, you know, these cars, <clears throat> these cars are there and the volume of these cars is only going to grow. And that's down to legislation. The UK have already said, from 2032 now, you will not be able to sell brand new an internal combustion engine vehicle. They've actually brought it forward a couple of years and they're, and they're, they're, they're targeting 2032 for that. So if, if we're going to go the way that Norway already have, and Norway have that rule in place from 2025, their new car sales now are 50% electric. So, you know, way ahead of, of, that, of, that, of that deadline. If we're going to follow the same, same route, then we're going to get a lot, lot more of these vehicles over the next 10 years. And you know, we've, also got, we've also got the advantage of, of, of legislation because actually we've got a, a piece of legislation called the Electricity at Work Act. And in the same way that they wouldn't ask anybody to repair the electrics in, in the workshop, because somebody's got to be licensed to do that, the same legislation applies to people who are working on these vehicles. Uh, and 
a lot of companies don't appreciate that. And what you were actually saying there about the insurance industry is selling these vehicles. Actually, we're getting calls now because the insurance, insurance companies are saying to their clients, you want to buy insurance from us. You want to buy you know, employee liability or whatever insurance it is from us. You need to make certain that your people are trained. And electric and hybrid vehicles is one of those, one of those pieces of training. Yeah. Okay. I think it's, I think it's important for those that are, that are on Facebook or, or on the zoom call. I think, you know, it's critical that we get our heads around that there, there are risks and opportunities in everything, right? So there's cause and effect happening all over the place and more so today than ever before. So I think it's, uh, it's certainly a very, very important sort of piece of information or think about that, you know, what's going to happen in five years time. And I know some people think, especially these days with COVID and the challenges that we've got with, you know, uh, with everything happening in the world at the minute, it's hard to think five years out, but five years isn't that long. You know, where, 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 where were you five years ago and what are you doing today? So it's going to become pretty quickly. So let's be prepared and, and get ready for that. So I'm just reading some things on my, on my phone here that have come through. Um, I've got a question here from Michael McKenna from the VAC, the, um, Victorian Automotive, uh, Automobile Chamber of Commerce, um, Andy. And the question is, can you ask Andy to elaborate on the 50% electric sales? Um, yeah, basically, legislation is, is on its way. Legislation is on its way for, um, for the fact that you know, from a certain date, you will not be able to sell brand new an internal combustion engine vehicle in the UK. Norway already have that legislation in place. Yeah. And that's happening, that's happening in five years time. That's happening well, four, four, four and a half years time now. But already their new car sales are, are over 50% of them are electric because people are preparing for that legislation. And if the UK follows a similar, similar trajectory, then in, you know, probably by about 2028, 2029, we'll probably be running somewhere similar sort of, sort of level. Yeah. And I think I've been hearing certain things like that about, you know, Australian legislation potentially probably into the 2030s, to be honest. Um, but that's, that's, I think where it is going. So very interesting. And I, I don't know New Zealand's really on the forefront of some of that. They're quite innovative over there. Um, and uh, I'd say they're heading in that direction as well. So look, really, really interesting type stuff. But I think, as I said before, there, there are challenges, but there are some really good opportunities out there. Right? Sure. Um, we look at that heavy battery, that electric you know, battery that um, we need to deal with. There's a lot of yards are making good money out of selling them today. Um, and I think that's only going to grow for obvious reasons. And uh, I think the other thing is that, you know, there's going to be recyclability opportunities as well. So what, how do we, how do we deal with that? Um, so, yeah. I have a, I have a question I would get Andy to, uh, to give some details on. Um, I mentioned earlier, I've seen some batteries stacked on top of each other. They were different chemical, uh, chemical consistencies, uh, manufacturing techniques and they were stored together. Touch on the, the idea of, of storing different battery types together and explain right. what battery types we're talking about. Okay, all right. Can I just, uh, I'll just share, share a screen because uh, this is a lovely picture that I took in, uh, in Florida um, a couple of years ago. And uh, this is how I do not want to see batteries stored. 
major, absolutely massive, massive fire risk on that on, on that picture there. And that is how, how not to store these store batteries, uh, as is also um, this one as well, uh, which was taken in Texas uh, last year. Again, how not to store batteries. Um, Pretty well bezel, so, though, Andy. <laughs> so, um, but um, uh, but basically, there's two types of two main types of chemistry of these batteries. You've got nickel metal hydride, which is the type of battery that you'll find in the Toyota Prius and and the and, and the hybrid vehicles, and then you've got lithium iron, which is the type of battery that you'll find in a plug-in hybrid or a full electric vehicle. Uh, and the two chemistries do not like each other. They do not like each other at all. Uh, and you should store them in, 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 in separate uh, locations. If you've got a storeroom, um, then they could be stored either side of that storeroom with a walkway through the middle. That's absolutely fine. But don't store them on the same, same shelf. Don't store them one above the other or something of that nature because they don't like each other. And store them in such a way that they cannot fall. They cannot uh, have anything fall on them. Uh, and also keep them dry because they, they're not designed to get wet. Uh, failing to do that, you are massively increasing your risk of fire. And when these things catch fire, they burn and they burn extremely, extremely hot. Uh, I, I've got a video uh, that uh, I won't use now, but uh, of a Nissan Leaf on fire with temperatures being recorded in excess of 700 degrees C and that was with the battery on fire. It doesn't it take a special extinguisher to extinguish those fires also? Well the, 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 I'm doing a lot of work with first responders and the first responders are telling me that if they've got for example a, a full electric vehicle on fire they need something in the region of 10,000 litres of water that's about 2,600 gallons of water for that one vehicle um, because what they need to do is they need to put the fire out but they then need to cool the battery down because if they don't cool it down there is a risk that it will reignite and there are they're either going to pump thousands of liters of water at it or there are some specialist extinguishers um, battery safety solutions in, in in holland have designed some that work on lithium-ion fires uh, and actually get into the battery and cool the battery down. But, or, or as I say, it's thousands of litres of water. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, I, I'm, I'm just thinking through, as you're talking about it, I'm thinking through some of the yards, and there's a lot of yards that do very high volume in Australia these days. Um, and when I say very high volume, the car comes in within like half an hour. You're sitting in the office, you see a, a nice vehicle just rock out, a late model vehicle, and then... Half an hour later, you see the same car go out with half of car missing, and it's like gone to the crusher. Some of these vehicles are handled within literally minutes and cut up within minutes. There is no chance that these vehicles have gone through any such process. Uh, scary stuff. So I think that's it. That's it. And I, I know you've got a couple more slides, Andy, to show us before we get into the let's call it the, the positive side of electric vehicles. I don't want, this is not all bad. It's not all, you know, but again, for those that are on, on the Facebook feed and, and on, on the Zoom call, you know, good for you because at the end of the day, if you can take something out of these sessions here today or this session here today, 
and implement that and handle these things properly, there's a great opportunity on the other side of it. So I'll let you get back into a couple more slides, Andy, and then we'll, we'll get into the, the selling aspect of it. Yeah, yeah that's it. Um, one slide I do want to show is, is and, and we're not talking here just about high voltage batteries. We want to talk about all batteries as well. And this is one that I've used quite a few times in, in presentations because it is quite a dramatic one here. And what we see here at the bottom of the screen is a, is a good battery. Uh, and that's a 15.5 volt lithium battery that is designed to run the emergency call system on a car. So if you have an accident and the airbags deploy, then they can contact uh, the car. You can be contacted to see if you're okay. Legal requirement in the EU now, and I know a lot of American uh, vehicles have them as well. But at the bottom of that picture, you'll see a good one. At the top of that picture is one that has been left in the car and has been in the car when the car has been crushed and it goes pop and it will either go bang as you crush the car or it could go bang six hours later. And by then it's now under a pile of scrap and you've now got a scrap fire in your yard. Mm. So it's imperative, absolutely imperative that you remove all of the batteries that are in the vehicle. And we're not just talking about high voltage. We're talking about every battery uh, in the, in, in Europe, the newest Ford focus, has got eight batteries in it. You know, and tire pressure sensors, keys, alarm, e-call system, the 12 volt battery, and so on and so forth. There's eight batteries in that vehicle. So Andy, just quickly on that, how do we, how do we find all those batteries? I'm a, I'm a recycler, how do I find all those batteries? The, the IDIS system has got that. Okay. Uh, and that's got that data, but I'm working with the ARA, the Automotive Recyclers Association, uh, to actually build a database of all those batteries. It's going to take us a little while to, to, to get everything, uh, but we're working on that at the moment to, to build a full database of every single vehicle and every single battery so that, that that's available to the recycling industry. Okay, good. Um, okay, we've got a question that's come through. Just let me have a quick look here. Uh, Peter Butler. Hi, Andy. After hearing what you say about laws around who can work on power supply, etc., do you think the UK and other countries will legislate that only a qualified electrician will be allowed to disable these batteries before a dismantler can even begin dismantling? Thanks, Peter, from Affordable Parts World. There was a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago with a guy who works in the collision repair industry. Um, and they've been trying, and the Institute of the Motor Industry have been trying for a long, long time to get vehicle technicians licensed. Now, I can't, I can't set up a tattoo parlor, a hairdresser's, a dog grooming parlor, or something like that without being licensed. But I could set up a collision repair center with no licenses, with no trainings, nothing. Uh, and the current government in the UK do not want to add red tape right now. They're, they're, they're anti-red tape. So they don't want to go down the whole licensing route for vehicle technicians. Uh, so right now, I can't see that being as a possibility. Who knows? It might change in a few years' time. But conversations I've had over the last few weeks and months with a number of different people, that's the one thing that they point to that would make a massive difference in the, in, in the industry is licensed technicians. Yeah, interesting. Um, I think, Peter, one of the things there that, and I know you've been a supporter of a number of different uh, new initiatives, such as the certification programs and so forth. But one of the things that the UK is doing differently 
Um, and there's a, there's a balance here between regulation and self-regulation, right? Um, I don't know, Chad's view on regulation and, and laws is free market. Let's let the market do what it's going to do. And I, and I certainly get that. On the flip side, when you've got that scenario happening where you've got, you know, um, really important activities that happen in a collision repair, right? We're, we're repairing a vehicle to its pre-accident condition. It's going to be con continue to be driven out on the road. Um, and there are no regulations. It's like, you can do it. Just start a shop tomorrow. I can start when I don't know how to repair a car, not, you know, whatever. Uh, so look, I think there's a balance there, but I think what the UK is doing at the minute through the VRA with their certification program, you know, uh, I think that's, that's something that's going to help deal with all these issues. It's going to create that point of difference. My view is that salvage electric vehicles and other salvage will go to the parties that are doing the right things that have got the different um, processes in place within their business that are independently audited and you know insurance companies can feel comfortable that an electric vehicle is going to a yard that will handle it in a environmentally friendly way in a occupational health and safety friendly way um, vehicle providence vehicle part traceability uh, all of that stuff will be dealt with the way it needs to be dealt with so I think that's that's where it's going. That's probably what we need to look at here. And, and just a, a quick shout out to, to Chaz Ambrose and the VRA over there. They've already got, I think, 50 plus recyclers that have put their hand up um, and registered to go through the certification process within two weeks of launching the program. Super good. Something that the rest of the industry around the world, I think, should, should open their arms to. So... Um, okay, can I move on quickly, Andy, um, to PPE, right? Mm -hmm. What type of equipment is required here? Um, secondly, how do we how do we get it as an industry? Um, yeah, I mean, can we find it locally? If if someone out there that's doing electric vehicles, the poll earlier, sixty percent of yards have handled the electric vehicles. Um, that responded to the to the uh, poll. Uh, so there's yards out there dealing with electric vehicles. Have you been able to get such equipment locally? If you have, let us know. If not, Andy, what have you got over there, and how can we get it? Certainly, yeah. I just just shared a screen there with um, a load of tools and PPE. Uh, the company website is there, intact.com. Uh, mm -hmm. We've even got your discount code as well, so we've even got you 10% off, off off your order uh, for that as well. Um, all of your kit, all of your, your tools and your PPE, your high voltage tools, your linesman's gloves, your uh, multimeter, safety rescue hook, everything that you need is available off that website. They're a UK based company, but they are extensively experienced in, in shipping worldwide and selling worldwide. They also have an office in, in Florida as well. So for the US guys, they can ship direct from Florida, uh, but extensive experienced in that. So uh, that's where you that's where you need to go to get all 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 all, all the kit. Uh, and again, if anybody wants a list of what you need, then let me know. Or you just go onto their website, and they've actually got a standard kit that you can that you can can purchase from them. So uh, that's 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 everything that you need there. Um, so Andy, and while I'm a, thinking, will a standard sorry. kit do the job? Standard oh yeah, kit yeah, yeah. Absolutely. The standard kit you see there on the right hand side of that picture uh, that that is the standard kit uh, and then they've got a choice of, of toolkits as well um, you've got a that's 
that's the mid-range toolkit, but there are other ones there as well. Okay. And, uh, and just while I'm thinking about it, I'll just click to this slide as well. Again, if you want disconnection data, that's an app that you can put onto your phone. Um, just search Pro Assist Hybrid. It's £2.99 in the UK. It's $2.99 in the US. €2.99 in, in Europe. I'm not certain how much it is in Australia, but I'm certain they're going to go two ninety nine, um, yeah, for consistency. But search Pro Assist Hybrid. It's an app that works on both Apple and Android, and again will give you that disconnection process and those disconnection details. Excellent. Yep. Excellent. Uh, we have a question that came through on uh, Facebook from uh, Karen Smith. Karen is the editor of the ARA magazine in the U.S., and uh, there's always been a since these electric vehicles have come out, there's been an issue with the, the value of the core. And so her, her question is related to that. Uh, when do you all think that the electric vehicle battery disposal or recycling will provide some monetary value to recyclers and then the reuse of them in the marketplace? That, thank you, Karen, for that really, really difficult one to answer because um, it's very, very dependent on on, on two two factors. Number one is, you know, is there is there a marketplace for that battery, uh, and with it within the vehicle marketplace, and the the vehicle marketplace is that that particular area is growing, uh, and it is getting better and better because, you know, there's more vehicles on the road. Um, plus, there's also now a burgeoning um, industry where people are taking old classic cars and stripping out the the uh, uh, the engine, the gearbox, and, and the transmission, and replacing it with electric components. And there's a really, really big industry coming up on that one. Um, so, you know, it's 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 supply and demand. They want more batteries. They want them cheaper. Um, but uh, you know, you know, it, it's that side of thing. The next one is is um, uh, reuse into another industry, uh, and. The second use here here would be the battery walls on your house for your solar panels, your wind farm storage, your solar farm storage, stuff of that nature. And again, that is a, a, a marketplace which is growing and growing and growing, you know, little bit month by month by month. And that's going to start taking lots and lots of, of, of battery cells and, and complete batteries in the future. Uh, funnily enough, actually, China is probably the leading, the market leader in that right now. And then the final part is is the recycling and the recycling process. And as more people get involved in the recycling, the demand is growing. Uh, and and there's 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 more companies involved in recycling now than there was two years ago. And because there's more companies involved, they're willing to pay, and and they will and they will you know. That, that is starting to grow. Two years ago, we could hardly give them away. Now, you know, there's a, there's a much bigger marketplace. Um, but it is, you know, there's, there's those three factors there. It's the reuse in a vehicle, it's the reuse for, or, or going for second use, and then it's the recycling. Andy, do you see the batteries becoming the new catalytic converter of the dismantlers for revenue? Right now, that's a difficult one to say because, um, for the majority of the batteries, there's not enough money left at the end of the recycling to actually give them any decent revenue. Um, but who knows? In 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 five years' time, that you know it could be completely different. But we're 
we're, we're pushing the boundaries here. We, we, we haven't done this before and we're pushing the boundaries and, uh, and you know, that marketplace takes off. Lots of people get solar panels on their house, want battery walls on the, on the side of the garage. That's what, you know, that, that marketplace will take off. Yep. I was at a conference put on by the manufacturers uh, back about six months ago. I guess it was in January. Uh, and, and they made a comment that the, the value of the contents, I may get my numbers just a little bit wrong, but you just correct me uh, if I'm incorrect, but the value of the contents of the battery would be about $3,000, but the cost of recycling that battery may be about $4,000. Mm-hmm. So it's very valuable material, but the technology is not there to completely recover and extract it. Is, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, and that's and, and that's growing all the time. That that technology is moving, moving all the time, and it's getting better and better and better. The biggest issue around these batteries is actually the transportation, particularly the lithium batteries, uh, because while they're in the vehicle, they're considered safe. As soon as you take them out of the vehicle, they're now hazardous, and they have to be transported under hazardous waste regulations, uh, and that does significantly increase the cost of of getting those batteries recycling recycled purely the transportation. Just, just on that, a couple of things there. So, uh, firstly, we had a question from Tom at I Need Spares that we answered without even trying to answer, which was, you know, what can I do with these bags? Uh, I want to be well prepared. So, Tom will reach out to you, Andy, yeah. and talk to you about that. Um, but there's also opportunities there to, to harvest more value out of the scrap, if you like, of, of electric vehicle batteries. Um, there is, there is a, yard, uh, a yard, there is an organisation that I'm doing a little bit of work with here in, in Melbourne, Australia, actually, that does uh, recycle um, lithium and whatever those other batteries are, right? Um, they do a lot with the cell phones, cell phone mm-hmm. batteries, and they've built a process around motor vehicle batteries as well. Uh, certainly one of the opportunities that, that exists is on that, exchange battery if you like or the battery that's no good right so there is no doubt that the the highest value sales channel for the battery is to reuse mm-hmm. you know i've bought a toyota camry it's done thirty thousand kilometers or miles whatever that is they've got a a life of a hundred thousand miles i'm just making this up mm-hmm. so it's got seventy thousand miles left in it or kilometers left in it um you know, you sell that for $2,000 because the new one's $5,000, everyone's a winner. The exchange battery is important. I think part of one of the things that I wanted to talk about here is you mentioned the distribution, you know, hazardous waste, we need to deal with that. Uh, they need to be distributed properly. I've seen some yards in Australia that have sold, sold them, wrapped them up in black plastic, put it on a little skid and sent it without anything, you know, and the consignment note says, are they dangerous goods? No. It's like, really? It's, it's crazy. So we need to do that properly. The second thing is, what do we do with the exchange battery? I think there's a huge opportunity here. And one of this, this organization that I'm working with here in Melbourne, their view is that, yes, they can do it. The issue, their issue is volume. So they need more volume. So recyclers that have these stacks of batteries sitting there, if they're not going to sell them, get them out of your facility, um, contact me if you want, I'm happy to put you onto this organization, contact me, get them out of your facility if you're not selling them, if you're not storing them properly, don't let them start a fire, 
and let's create an environment, let's create a market for them whereby we, we help these organisations build that critical mass, uh, which ultimately enjoys, uh, enables them to make a business out of it, which helps us as well. So it's a help me help you type of deal. Yeah. Sorry, Jack. Yeah, absolutely. And we are creating a marketplace here. You know, this is something we've not done before and, and we're creating that. Andy, I'd like for you to answer a question uh, related to that. What is the, the viability lifespan of a battery once it's pulled out of the vehicle and it's no longer being charged? It's sitting on the shelf at a recycler's facility. Uh, what length of time can pass uh, before it needs to be reinstalled in a car and it's still viable? That very much depends on, on too many factors. Um, lithium ion not a major problem that will that will sit there for probably two years without any any risk um, it does depend very much on the condition of the battery and the state of charge and the state of health before that battery comes out of the vehicle and as i say with lithium-ion if it's probably 40 50 percent charged it will stay there for probably probably two two years or so um, nickel metal hydride which is, I say, is the older technology then that that doesn't fare so well uh, and again, you know, it, again, it's, it's down to that state of charge, state of health. If it's about 50% charged, it will probably last for, I don't know, probably six, eight, maybe, t maybe 10 months. Uh, but that's very, very dependent on how it's stored. And if it gets too cold, so, you know, really some of the really cold places we could go like Canada, or if it gets too hot. So I think in some of the, the summers in Australia, um, you know, those extremes of temperature don't do it any good at all. Yep. Ideally, it needs to be stored in a, a temperature of around about sort of 15 to 17, 17 centigrade um, is the ideal temperature that it needs to be stored at. You know, if it goes too high, if it gets up to 40, then the, 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 uh, the charge in that battery is just going just gonna to drop. And if it gets to minus 20, again, it's just going to fall, fall away again. I also met a guy at that same conference I was at uh, back in January that had a, a device called, a, I believe it was called a Scorpion, that was designed to actually test the battery to see if it was still good or not. Uh, are you seeing a demand for that from any recyclers around the, the world? Not at the moment. Um, and and, and the, you know, the way that the majority um, sell them is literally, well, it, you know, we, we put the ignition on. The battery, the battery indicator was showing 80% on the on the dashboard. So we've, here's a picture of it. We've taken it out. You know, off you go. Um, if they want to do it properly, they really should be do it, putting a, a scan tool onto the car and doing a complete scan of the vehicle with a scan tool, which will then analyse every module on the battery and tell you what that module is is where it is and and if it's any good or not. Uh, and all those modules have got to be within. 0.2 volts of each other to be to be good if it's if it's more than that then that battery or that module needs to be replaced uh, and that that needs to be sort you know needs to be dealt with yeah I've, I've, I've heard the same discussion where they're actually taking multiple batteries pulling the modules out of different ones and reassembling mm -hmm. may take two or three batteries and make one good battery by moving modules absolutely, absolutely. yeah and and there's a whole and those those cities I call it the Uber effect, but those cities where there's a lot of Uber taxis, Priuses, Hondas, stuff like that, there's a there's a real business built up around that where they're actually you know literally 
refurbishing those batteries for, for all the Uber taxi drivers so they can get them back on the road as quickly as possible. Right. Um, so I see, I see a whole heap of uh, variables here um, and new technology that really we don't understand well enough. Exactly. And there's, there's a, a plethora of sort of information that we need to access, we need to digest, we need to put into practice uh, over and above just the equipment that we need to handle these vehicles, which is easy, mm -hmm. I suppose, just buy it and use the damn stuff, right? Um, but there's a, there's a huge opportunity, right? There's a huge opportunity, one, in uh, sales of this, yep. of this product for, for reuse, there's a huge opportunity, I think, in the recyclability of this product. And, you know, you mentioned catalytic converters chat earlier. Possibly, I think, I think there's no doubt that the electric, the, the battery, um, or the high voltage battery will be something of uh, high value, even as a scrap component moving forward, um, especially when you've got organizations using them for different purposes, you know, and those modules potentially can be used for different purposes in isolation of the complete battery in time, where they'll be able to use those in other other sort of means. So, um, Andy, if you were the buyer, you're calling me on the recycling yard, you're calling me, you've got a Toyota Camry and you need a battery. You're an Uber driver and you need a battery. Um, what do you want to, what do I want to hear? No, what do you want to hear as the buyer of a battery from the salesperson at the other end of the phone. Yeah, you, you've you've got to got to remember that I'm a I'm master certified technician, so I, I'm looking coming at this from a from a very different viewpoint. But I I want a a printout from the scan tool that shows me each individual module and uh, and uh, and the state of charge and the state of the health of that battery. Okay, let me reverse that then. You're the owner of the yard, and I'm the unknowing buyer that doesn't know any of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. What is it that, you know, I'm looking at, I suppose, um, how many kilometers has it done? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Do they measure the hours that the, that the battery no. has worked? No. no. Um, no. It's, what, it's purely, what, it's purely down to, it's, it's, purely, it's purely down to, you know, the, the, the mileage the vehicle's done. Um, and if, if you've got the right scan tool, you can then get that data off the scan tool and, and, and tell them more about the, about the battery. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't look at hours. It doesn't look at the number of cycles. And by cycle, I mean that's discharge, recharge, discharge, recharge. It doesn't look at, at any of that. It just you know, the data that you can get is the the condition of the modules in in voltage terms, uh, the um, the mileage that the vehicle has done, uh, and there's not a lot more that you can do around that at the moment. Uh, people are working on on tools that can do that, and there's uh, there's a guy in 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 the, on the south coast of England, I know, who's uh, designing a tool that he can put onto the batteries and put onto the modules, and tell you if those modules are any good. Uh, that's still in test. Once that's once that's available, you know, we can then start start using that. But you know, that's uh, th there's nothing much more really that you can do on those. Okay, I think the message there, and what I'm trying to, you know, what do your salespeople need to do to sell this product successfully? Because it's not a matter of 
It's not blowing smoke. It's not a matter of it's not making noise. It's not a matter of, you know, I drove it and it's running smooth. This thing don't make any noise and it doesn't blow smoke. So we've, you know, there are got to be some other selling points that we, yeah. we use there. And ideally, um, a scan tool with a report, the more information you give the buyer, especially in the context that if they're ringing others that aren't listening to this podcast, for example, um, that don't know what to do, they're just going to be saying, yeah, I've got one. They're out of the Toyota Camry 2012 model, whatever the case is, right? Um, and when they do ask them these questions, they're not going to know what the answers are. So if you can do it differently, then that's a differentiator, no doubt about that. Yeah, and the other question I'd ask is how long has it been sat on the shelf? Again, most most buyers wouldn't ask that question. I suppose they're just thinking they haven't thought that far, right? But uh, from a from a yard manager slash owner perspective, it's a critical point. Um, you know, if it's sat on the shelf for too long, then the chances are it may not be right. So, having a tool that can test that that um, that scorpion, I think you called it, uh, Chad, um, that may be a really good tool that we need to invest in if you're going to be doing more and more of tools. So. Okay, look, uh, I, we're, we've just gone uh, a tad over. Um, hold on, we've just got a quick chat here. I've got uh, a Peter Butler again. Sorry, one, one second, Chad. How, does it, how do the customers know their battery needs playing? Does the car self-diagnose the issue or does the owner just not get the distance anymore? Yeah, it's, there's it's two things. Either the battery itself has failed, so therefore you've got, you know, fault codes and warning lights and whatever on, on the, on the dashboard, or you're, you're where, you know, when the car was brand new, you were getting 150 miles or 200 kilometers or whatever out of, out of a charge. It's now down to 110 uh, miles of, or, or 150 kilometers or something of that nature. And it's just, just the fact that it's just not performing as, uh, as well as it did when it was new. And that's just natural, uh, your um, progression of, of, of the battery and, and, the, and, and over a period of time that will happen. Uh, some are better than others, some are worse than others. Um, you know, but again, that's manufacturer. And you know, there's, there's talk, I know there's Teslas out there that have got three, four, 500,000 miles on them uh, and they're still on their original battery and that original battery is still running at 85 to 90% efficiency. Um, and Tesla are actually saying that they, they reckon they can build a million mile battery that will, that will last that, that length of time. Um, it'll be, you know, we'll wait and see. The vast majority of these batteries are lasting the lifetime of the car. The vast majority. Uh, there are some that are, you know, have significantly dropped over a period of time and are going to have to be replaced. Um, but those you know, tend to be sort of 2011, 2012 vehicles. And the technology's moved on um, you know, since then. But as I say, the vast majority are, are lasting the lifetime of the car, if not, if not beyond. Chad, you were going to say something? Else? Well, Karen, Karen Smith has a statement and then a question. I'm just going to read the question. Uh, do you think it could become mandatory for certification to sell higher tech parts? quite possible um, but we've got repairers out there who are repairing vehicles with you know ADAS and autonomous systems on there um, 
they've got no licenses, they've got no training. You know, um, and and you know, we're talking there about about components that if they're fitted incorrectly could actually cause a fatal um, accident or fatal problems. You know, and and people aren't doing that. So yes, it could become mandatory. Uh, I don't. I just don't see it happening. At, you know, in in the near future. Yep. I see an opportunity for a third party traveling technician slash sort of certified entity to travel and actually help the facilities that may be uh, working on that particular vehicle. It may be helping a dismantler dismantle a vehicle, or it may be helping a, uh, a collision repair, disable and re-enable a, a vehicle while they're in the repair process. And uh, I know that this is already an existing service provided in the U.S. for some diagnostic stuff, but I see this as a, a need in the future for a third party traveling uh, related to the, the batteries. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm already doing that for a couple of companies in the UK. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not, not unknown. And, uh, you know, I can see that growing. Just on the question from Karen, Chad, you know, mandatory is a, is a big word. Um, but sometimes you make some things mandatory by default because you, you do so. So if you look at the UK, Andy, um, what the, the, the stuff I've been doing with eBay over there and now working with insurers is basically to a degree making it somewhat mandatory for uh, recyclers to participate in this eBay B2B platform that's being launched. Basically they're going to need to be certified in order to do that. And the manufacturer, sorry, the insurers are, are saying we need you to be independently certified. So we know you meet all of these different standards um, in order for us to, to engage with you. So to a degree, yes, I think it will probably get to that. Um, okay. To, to be fair, the insurance industry have actually, you know, put that that onus on the collision repair um, industry for a number of years now, and you know, to, to repair a, a vehicle for the insurance industry, you have to be independently certified and audited, uh, and it's just a natural extension of that of that program into the recycle parts. I think so. Yeah. Okay, um, we've gone a little bit over. Uh, just had a quick message there from Michael McKenna. Thanks, Mike, for attending. I hope you enjoyed the session. Hope everyone enjoyed the session. Next week, we've got a really, really exciting one, especially for Australian New Zealand viewers. Not that we don't like the others, but um, we're launching a... a uh, well, we, we'll talk about what we're launching next week, but we've got Mannheim on, on the call next week. Jonathan Allerton from Mannheim will be on the call. Uh, possibly uh, Mike from Bid Buddy as well, um, talking about some really exciting stuff that's happening over here in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, I think it has got relevance to the US and the UK for you guys to see what we're doing here. It's even going to be new for the for the US, if you like. Um, often we, we find that uh, we're doing things that the US may have done a couple of years ago as far as technology is concerned, but this one I think is, is going to... Uh, open some eyes and, and um, potentially deliver value to, to the market beyond uh, what it's seen before. So um, excited about that. Stay tuned for the details on that one. Please join that show um, with Mannheim next week. Andy, thank you very, very much. Okay. Look forward to seeing a couple of links from you and we'll share those links on the website and, and distribute those via an EDM. Um, so thanks, Andy. Any closing words from you? No, it's been a pleasure, pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Um, and just a, a little bit of, uh, of you know, 
publicity for myself, we do a podcast as well. Uh, it's called Depollution. Uh, we've actually got Jane Pocock, who is the MD of Copart UK uh, tomorrow. Uh, that launches at 10 o'clock in the morning UK time tomorrow. Uh, and we've got a webinar on uh, Wednesday, uh, 3 p.m. on Wednesday afternoon, looking at post-COVID uh, and, and what, do, what do vehicle recyclers do post-COVID and, and what's the future like. So uh, have a look at those on the website. And, um, and if you want training, we do online training as well. So if anybody wants to do online training from us on electric and hybrid, then uh, we've got that facility as well. So salvagewire.com and, uh, and, and talk to me. Excellent. Get us some of those links across for the podcasts and yeah, webinars. Uh, yeah. Andy will certainly promote them over here. Um, Chad, any closing comments? No, no, I think we've covered everything. Excellent. Well, thanks everyone. Appreciate you joining Facebook. Appreciate you joining the Zoom call and wherever else you're looking. Um, YouTube video will be out uh, in the coming hours or in the coming 24 hours. Um, please share that with other recyclers who haven't been able to be on this call. Um, and, you know, look forward to seeing you next week and stay safe. Thanks very much. Thank you.